3: Hello there, everybody. Welcome to the LiveWire podcast. This is the podcast about the radio show that is LiveWire. My name is Luke Burbank. Uh, I'm the host of both of those things. This is how the show works. Every week, I record some new stuff. and We put it on the podcast, and then you also get to hear the radio show, which you may have caught on your finer local public radio station. Maybe you didn't, uh, and so this is a chance to do that as well. Just a little, let's see, little update on everything for me this week. I'm recording this on a Monday morning. I spent the weekend anticipating the Game of Thrones Season 6 premiere, and also being inundated with references to the Beyoncé uh, album Lemonade, which I didn't get a chance to listen to until today. It's pretty good, I think. Um... And uh, this morning, I, uh, I got up only to realize that we were out of coffee. It's a big deal to me. I'm a very, I'm a very obsessed with coffee person. For, for having almost no, uh, I don't know, no sense for different kinds of coffee, no developed palate, no special skills in the area of tasting coffee, which is a whole thing now, by the way. A lot of people treat uh, coffee, uh, particularly here in the Pacific Northwest, in Portland, where we do the Live Wire radio show. And also, um, in the, you know, greater Seattle area, it's a big thing. Coffee being treated like a micro brew, like anything that people get way artisanal on. I don't have any great palate for that stuff, but I do love coffee so, so much. It is one of my favorite parts of the entire day. I will sometimes go to bed and I will think I can't wait to get up tomorrow and have a cup of coffee. Um, But the thing is, I got up this morning and realized we were out of coffee. And so it was either go to the store and get some more or go downstairs and break out the old Keurig, which my wife has more or less banned from being used in this house, except under absolute last case, uh, you know, worst case scenario type situations, which like having no coffee would probably be one of the worst case scenarios. She does not like it because it is not environmentally friendly, and she is right. It is not, but today I had to break it out. The irony is that, and I'm going somewhere with this, you guys, the irony is that um, this week's episode of Live Wire Radio was all about Earth Day, and I'm sitting here drinking coffee made from an earth-destroying machine, and I don't feel good about it. I don't mean to be glib. Please hold your fire, public radio listeners. I get it. It's not the greatest way to make a cup of coffee in the morning. I'll never do it again unless we run out of coffee in the next week or two, in which case I may have to re-break out the Keurig machine. Uh, The show this week uh, had a bunch of really interesting guests, people who interact with the earth in one way or another. They seemed relevant to our interests when it comes to an Earth Day show. Uh, Coming up, we're going to talk to Dr. Nicole Apellian, she's a biologist uh, an outdoor survivalist we didn't get I didn't mention this during the radio show she comes on stage she has a friggin knife she's wearing a knife I don't know how I neglected to ask about that but uh, she's somebody who like if you dropped her in the middle of the wilderness she could just live out there and she did she's part of this um, this show on the history channel called alone which you're gonna hear some more about Um Coming up, you know, I me- I just want to say also, I mentioned the Keurig thing because I was a little nervous about my monologue this week. I tend to start the radio show with a, uh, just a little chat about what has been on my mind, or maybe something that uh, seems germane to the overall theme of the show. So, since we were talking about Earth Day, I, I sort of I noticed that we we call the Earth our mother, but but most of us probably don't actually maybe treat our moms with enough care, attention, and love, uh, maybe as we should. Maybe you are just the most phenomenal child of all time to your mother, and if, uh, if so, good job, stop bragging. Um, but for the rest of us, it's a thing where, you know, like, uh, I should be a better son to my mom, and we should probably be better citizens of this planet. I was worried, though, that the monologue might come off as a little preachy. Wow, look how long I talked. I actually ran out of music. All right, I'll restart it there. Maybe that's a good sign that... It's time to get to the actual radio show. Maybe that is what the universe is trying to tell me. Um, but now I got six more minutes, people. So buckle up. Now, maybe I was a little nervous about the monologue because I didn't want to sound preachy. I didn't want anyone to think that I thought that I was doing a better job of loving Mother Earth than they were. Because I, I really, I am a work in progress. As are we all, right? So um, I just, I wanted to mention the Keurig thing. So people knew right here. At the top of the podcast, that I am not putting on errors. I don't think I am. I don't think I'm, you know, doing a better job than anybody else when it comes to loving this plan. In fact, in many ways, I'm probably doing a worse job. But uh, I'm trying to fix that one radio show at a time. All right, so that's the uh, that's the plan for today's show. Um, we've also got, oh, by the way, we've got a great performance by a Portland band called Fruition, String Band. They came out looking like the uh, soggy, soggy bottom boys from uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? They were all gathered around one microphone and just singing with some amazing harmony. So that's going to be uh, something to look forward to. We also had a couple of teenagers show up, not just like random kids who were standing outside the Mississippi studios, smoking cigarettes and making trouble these were teenagers we brought on the show specifically because they're involved in a lawsuit against the federal government for not doing enough to try to address climate change and then we also had Garrett Vinn stop by he's a wildlife photographer and has a cool new book of uh, photos of birds out so yeah that's that's what's going to happen during the radio show and that radio show is going to get started right about now take a listen
0: from PRI Public Radio International, it's... Livewire! Reported in front of a live audience in Mississippi Studios in Portland, Oregon, it's Livewire. With the star of the loan, Dr. Nicole Appellian, poet Anish Bushani, wildlife photographer Garrett Vinn, with music from fruition and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of Livewire, he considers the power of love a form of alternative energy, Luke
4: Burbank!
3: Thank you, Jason. Thanks, everybody here at Mississippi Studios. Our our theme for this episode is How on Earth, because this week is Earth Day. So you see what we did there? How on Earth. I thought it was a strong idea in the meeting. I may have been,
4: <laughs> no, no. I may have been
3: misreading my own cleverness. How on Earth is, is, I think, actually an appropriate theme for any show that is about the state of planet Earth right here in 2016, right? Because you might be thinking, if you've read any of the data on climate change, and I'm assuming you have because you're not a Republican running for president. <laughs> if you've read any of the data... Uh, you might be thinking to yourself, how are we going to get to keep living on this Earth as a species uh, for uh, much longer if we don't start changing some stuff? The thing is, though, it's not that easy because I think we all agree this is the only planet we get, right? And we need to take care of it. But on the other side, I sometimes spend two hours staring at the garbage can in a Panera trying to figure out where to throw every single molecule... That was part of my meal. There are like eight different holes (laughs) and like three slots. I don't even want to know what the slots are for. But it's like very confusing, and in that moment, I usually just want to get on with my day. The idea of trying to love Mother Earth, it feels kind of far away for me. You know, we call it Mother Earth, I think, because not unlike our actual mothers, we would not be here if not for this planet, right? And also, not unlike our actual mothers, we could probably be better kids to it. You know, like when Mother Earth calls us, we should probably not send it directly to voicemail <laughs> and then text it back because we don't want to get into a whole thing. <laughs> that appears to be the political approach currently. does not seem like it's working great. Um, we should visit Mother Earth more. I know Game of Thrones is not going to watch itself, but... It would probably behoove us to get out and be on this amazing planet we live on uh, a little bit more. And also, we should remember uh, Mother Earth's birthday. And, and by that, I mean not just going on Facebook and clicking like on a post about Mother Earth That is or about Earth Day. That is like the uh, Internet equivalent of buying a present at the gas station on your way to the party. <laughs> like... We should try to do something thoughtful this year for Earth Day. And if you don't know what you should get Mother Earth, there is a great website which is basically a gift registry that is earthday.org. So I I highly encourage people to check that out. I was thinking about the term Mother Earth today and like if the Earth is our mother, then that means the sun is our father, which makes sense if you think about it. The sun is only around occasionally. (laughs) It's very explosive. And no matter what you do or how good you try to be, ultimately it will disappear someday. <laughs> I found the similarities striking, personally. Um, I come from a broken home, so maybe some of that's personal for me. But No, we're, we're not here to talk about Angry Sun Dad, though, this show. We're going to talk about Loving Earth Mother. And we have a bunch of interesting people who have been interacting with this planet in different ways. You guys want to meet some of them? A lot of people claim to be really in tune with Mother Nature, but can they say they've lived completely alone in the middle of nowhere, surviving by just their wits? Our first guest can, Dr. Nicole Appellian is a biologist and former African game warden who has been living way off the grid in North Vancouver Island as part of the second season of the History Channel show, Alone, which features 10 contestants living in total isolation in the wilderness, trying to survive, all while videotaping themselves. She just got back to civilization recently, so I'm assuming she cleaned out all the snacks in the green room, which we're fine with. Please welcome Dr. Nicole Appelian to Livewire. <laughs> Nicole, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Luke. It's good to be here.
3: Okay, so uh, lay this out for me. How does this show alone and the, the contest in general work?
1: <laughs> well, it's really different from other shows. We are, uh, I personally was dropped by helicopter to the northwest corner of Vancouver Island uh, and was left there by myself with six cameras uh, to document my own journey. No shelter, no water nothing. So I had to build my own shelter, find my own food, make my own fire, and survive on my own without any camera crew around. And you had to only, not only survive on your own, but you had to film it all, which was a little intense, because I'm not a videographer.
3: How did they pick you? Like, what are your special skills to make you qualified for this?
1: Uh, They picked me. I've been teaching traditional skills for many, many years. I've been working in uh, Africa for 20-plus years. I did lion research by my living in the middle of nowhere in a tent for years. Uh, I teach these skills. Um, I'm a biologist and an anthropologist, and uh, I love being outdoors. So I've been sort of doing this sort of thing and teaching this sort of thing for a really long time. And so this was sort of a test for me to see if I could do it by myself.
3: So they drop you off in essentially the middle of nowhere. They mm-hmm. fly away. It's you, some cameras you're supposed to use, uh, some survival gear, which I want to ask you about later. What was the first night
4: like?
1: First night? Well, I, uh, well, I, I got dropped off. And uh, you know, there was bear sign everywhere, mom and cubs, right there. You could see all the sign at my feet. So, that means
3: bear poop, right? When you say bear sign.
1: It it does. Okay. It does, and uh, a lot of bear in my area, and there's other. There were other predators too, wolves, cougar. Um, so my first night, I uh, I can't say too much about it because you have to tune in for the show. Right. So this, this show <laughs> is,
3: is the season two of this show on the History Channel is just kicking off. Exactly. So, uh, there is some stuff you can't talk about because it will like give away the rest of the season, right? Right. Okay, but what can you tell me about that first night?
1: Uh, what I can tell you is I did try to get some shelter that first night. And when you watch the first night, you'll be able to see that that shelter was. And uh, I tried to at least get myself warm and a little bit off the ground that first evening, so I didn't, didn't get cold and uh, so I was a little bit protected as well.
3: Um, were you scared?
1: No, I actually love being alone in the middle of nowhere. Go figure. Yeah.
3: So even though, like, if something happened to you out there, you could be in a lot of trouble, right? I mean, there is... Wh- who, how close was the closest person who could maybe help you if you got injured?
1: Far. Um, they did have a lot of safety precautions. So there, I had a, a thing I would carry with me at all times called a yellow brick, and I had a button that I could push if I was in a dire situation. Let's say I cut my femoral artery and I was bleeding out. Um, There was a button that I could push and say, hey, come help me. Yeah, that's nice to have. It's nice to have, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: As long as your femoral artery doesn't bleed all over the button and make it slippery, I mean.
1: Exactly, as long as the blood doesn't, you know, it covers up the red of the button and then you can't see it, yeah.
3: And what do they do at that point? They send a helicopter, like, immediately to try to get you? Yeah, the
1: the Coast Guard was was on standby just in case anything would happen. And that, that emergency button would go to the people that needed to come and and get you. And if you tap that button, you know, you're, you're dying if you tap that button, and you're out.
3: Right, yeah. because we should also mention that whoever manages to last the longest wins like a half a million bucks?
1: Half a million dollars, yes. But I have to say, none of us were really there for the money. I, I know that sounds strange, but all of us who were there, it was a really great cast, and really we were there because we wanted to... Prove to ourselves and to those whom we love to that we could really do this. We could really have our skills, our mental and our physical skills, to do to live alone in the in the middle of nowhere. And for me, as a woman, I really, really—it's the first time they've had women on the show. This is the second season, and I really wanted to be a role model for girls. That was so important to me—is to be able to have girls realize you can grow up and be anything that you want to be. And for me, that was a really dri- a real driving force for me to be on the show. <laughs>
3: We're talking to Nicole Appelian. She is uh, one of the contestants on this show on the History Channel called Alone. Um, Now, one of the things that makes this show uh, unique is that you have to film yourself. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Did you like know anything about doing that kind of stuff before you started this?
1: No, I was a complete newbie at filming myself. You know, normally when I'm out in the woods, I- I'm not filming myself. It's uh-huh. not something I normally do. <laughs> so they gave us training on the cameras, and uh, we had six cameras with us at all times. And we had to set up angles, and I don't think it, it really sinks into the viewer how difficult it is to, not only you're watching your caloric intake, and you're having to hunt all your own food, so you, you know, you're having to, to have play this sort of dance, this caloric dance, if you will.
3: And And if I can say, you don't look like you went in with a ton of extra calories. <laughs> I mean, is that an actual concern? Was that a concern for you?
1: Well... I gained eight pounds for the show, which I know doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot for me. I have a pretty small frame. So I did go into it. Um, I quit. I quit alcohol. I quit caffeine. I quit. Uh, sugar, all that sort of thing a month before the show started. So I really would have... And I eat a fairly paleo diet And you really upped your anyway. bark
3: intake, I assume? And somehow, yeah. I upped my bark intake in Was gnawing at
1: trees. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, I did gain some weight before the show, but I think there's a little bit of a misnomer that, that thin people won't do as well as people who are overweight. You know, if you look at a guy who's very large, um, the people who lasted a long time last year, lost 60 pounds by the end of the show... And, uh, but they have a higher caloric need than I do. Their metabolic rate is much higher than mine. You know, a big dude's gonna need a lot more food. And if we're hunting the same amount of food, I actually need fewer calories in order to live. So I think it was actually perhaps a little bit of an advantage, except I do get cold easily. So that was definitely something in my head to make sure that I didn't get hypothermia.
3: All right, um, stay there. Nicola Pellian is with us. She's a contestant on this new show called Alone. Uh, it's a show in its second season on the History Channel. I want to ask you uh, after the break about the, your list of, they let you bring 10 survival items. Yes, I have they the items here. And I'm surprised to see none of them are a Cinnabon. <laughs> um, but that's the difference in our survival techniques, I guess. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more with Nicole in just a moment. This is Live Wire Radio. Hey, podcast listeners. It's Luke. I want to tell you that Live Wire is brought to you in part by Ergo Depot, and their amazing stand-up desk, Jarvis. Now, you might think it's a little odd to give a, a piece of uh, furniture a name. Like, it's like you know, naming a chair Randy or something. But this is the thing. If you have used a Jarvis, as I do, I use a version of the Jarvis desk when I'm recording Livewire on stage every week in Portland. If you'd ever actually been around or used a Jarvis desk from Ergo Depot, you would know that it is absolutely worthy of a certain amount of anthropomorphizing. That's because Jarvis promotes the idea-making and inspiration-having mindset by encouraging your body to do what it was meant to do, and that is to move, my friends. The Jarvis desk goes up and down. You can sit at it. You can stand at it. As I like to say, you can weirdly lurk behind it maybe you wanted to go for like um i'm trying to think who's a all of my lurking references are pretty outdated i was going this is the you want to know the lurk reference i was going to make uh a character from the original black and white movie version of uh david copperfield starring wc fields and i think freddie bartholomew and there was a guy who played the character uriah heap And he's always in the background. And Uriah Heap's whole thing is like he's trying to be really like humble and obsequious, but actually he's kind of like the bad guy. And uh, there's a level in between sitting and standing that would be Uriah Heap level. That can also, if that's your that's your thing, you can do that with a Jarvis desk. You can put it at any level you want, and it remembers. You can set it. it has a little memory thing, so you don't have to mess with it every time. You just tell it what position to go to: sitting, standing, or Uriah Heap. And you're, uh, you're good to go. Uh, you can check out the full line of desks, chairs, stools, and all kinds of other amazing stuff that is going to make your your work life better, your creative life better, and your physical health life better uh, over there at ErgoDepot.com. All right. Uh, we still have on this uh, here Earth Day episode of the program, Dr. Nicole Apelian. We've got those teen activists I told you about, Miko and Isaac Vergun. We got some performance uh, performance coming up by Fruition, local Portland band, and Garrett Vin as well. Oh, and <laughs> uh, I I can't believe I left this out of the the first part of the show. We had Anis Mojgani stop by as well. Gosh, this guy is incredible. He is really really unbelievable. He's a poet. Even if you think like you don't like poetry, poetry gets kind of a. I think poetry has a has a, a sort of a. I don't know. And un, it, It's unfairly stigmatized at times as being maybe something that's uh, overly highbrow or I don't know, overly something. Like if you asked me a couple of years ago, hey, what's your feelings on poetry? I think I would say, I don't know. I don't know if poetry is for me. But then you, you hear somebody like Anis and you hear his poems and how just relatable they are and how, I think I say in his introduction, I talk about him documenting and somehow amazingly describing what it is to feel like a human on this planet I mean it's really universal stuff I'm excited that we were able to get him back on the show He's got a new book out uh, So that is all coming up uh, in just a matter of moments On that note, let us rejoin The Live Wire Radio show From Portland, Oregon Welcome back to Live Wire Radio from PRI I'm your host Luke Burbank This is our Earth Day show We're calling it How on Earth And we're talking to somebody who has been In a very remote part of the Earth Dr. Nicole Appellian who is a biologist, a uh, one-time game warden, and now a contestant on this History Channel show where people go and live in complete isolation with some video cameras and some survival gear and see if they can outlast everybody else. Now, they let you take ten things, and I just want to ask you about some of these things because I did not know, know even what they were. What is a ferro rod?
1: A ferro rod is a way to make a spark. So there, weren't, there were no lighter or matches allowed, which, you know, on a daily basis is how I make a fire, right? Uh, I think most people do. But a ferro rod will give you a spark. And that spark, you need to have a dry tinder bundle sort of ready and waiting for that spark to actually light. It's a really, really wet, moist environment in northwest Vancouver Island. It's raining, you know, 250 or so plus days out of the year and the winds are howling, and you need to have that spark turn into a flame in order to get a fire.
3: Isn't the wood and everything just kind of super wet? Yep. What do you do then?
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, for a month, actually, before the show I practiced, I took cedar bark, and I would put it in a tub of water overnight, and in the morning, I would work that cedar bark every morning until I could get it dry enough that I could actually light it with a spark, and then as, as... time goes on you can able you can dry your wood around a fire and things like that but to start out with really you know getting that first fire is really really key so you can dry things out and uh, but I would work that cedar bark every morning and practice before the show actually started
3: um, other things on this list um, a folding saw a 23 inch splitting axe a minus 30 degree rated sleeping bag how cold did it get
1: I can't say, because that will sort of tune in on how long I was there.
3: Oh, okay. Yes,
1: uh, but um, it, wa- it did take place the uh, same time as season one did, which was in the autumn and into winter.
3: Okay, what about um, 200 yards of 30-pound test fishing line, 100 yards of 80-pound test fishing line, and hooks? Did that was that- important. Did that work out for you?
1: I have to say it worked out for people last year. Again, it's a lot I a lot can't answer because the show is coming up and you'll get to see a lot of this as the show goes on. Um, but it was, it was a, I definitely feel like it was a good choice. A lot of people brought that item.
3: So you haven't actually seen the show, right? No. And, and I even noticed when we were talking to some of the people on the public relations side with the program, they told us we couldn't reply all on the email with you on the email because they didn't want you to get any kind of a hint about what's going on. <laughs> Are you going to be watching the show like, with your family and with your friends? And I guess you'll be surprised along with everybody else.
1: I will. I'm watching it right alongside everyone else who's watching the show. And it, it, was the, it was the number one hit last year for history. So it's, a, it's been a very popular show, I think, because it is real. You know, there's not a camera crew. You really are on your own. You're really testing your own survival skills. And it's a mental and a physical game. And I'm watching it right alongside everybody else. And I don't remember everything I filmed. I mean, it's hard to remember everything well, that occurred. Let
3: me ask you about that, too. One more thing on the cameras. I mean, so is it like you're about to climb... Some really hard thing, and then you have to remember to go set a, like nail a camera to a tree or something.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of effort. You know, if I'm going to go up a trail, I have to film myself going up that trail, retrieve the camera, go back down, then later I have to film myself going down that camera. So it's double duty a lot of times. Oh. So it's it was hard work uh, learning how to use the cameras. It was a pretty steep learning curve, and but after a while you got used to it. I mean, that camera was my only friend out there. So did you I don't develop know what I said. like a
3: Tom Hanks in <laughs> Castaway relationship? <laughs> With the camera?
1: A a little bit. I I will say it was like I was talking to that camera. And really, there's some low-level producer out there that's watched every minute of my footage and knows me super intimately. I'd love to meet that person, by the way. Yeah, someone knows me very well.
3: Well, You you got home not that long ago. Mm -hmm. Other than hugging your family, which I'm sure was the top of the list, uh, what was the other single thing that you were most friggin' excited about doing in civilization?
5: Food.
1: It was all about food. Oh, my gosh. All I wanted to do was eat everything. And when I, you know... It what was, was the
3: first meal you had?
1: I had a steak, a really big, thick steak, and uh, meat and, and potatoes and, and vegetables and a hot chocolate. That was my first meal. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. And it was delicious. It was delicious, yes.
3: Okay, so uh, do you know how the show actually ends?
1: I'm not allowed to answer that question. You can't well, even answer like the I question like of if you the know. Fifth. I have to plead the fifth. Yeah, sorry, Luke. I'm,
3: I'm wondering, uh. if you did win, can I borrow some money? <laughs>
1: I'll let you know at the end of August. Hit me up then. Yeah,
3: okay, okay, we'll have All you right. back on the show. <laughs> Nicole Appelian, everybody. That was Nicole Appellian, one of this season's contestants on Alone on the History Channel. It airs Thursdays at 9, 8
0: central. Announcer Jason Rouse, let's talk about sponsorship, my friend. This week's show is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, featuring high-quality meats that are free of antibiotics, added growth hormones, and animal byproducts, because antibiotics belong in your medicine cabinet, not in your pork chops. More information at WholeFoodsMarket.com. It is our... Earth Day show, and of course, we
3: have all heard the news regarding climate change, and it's pretty bleak. But maybe you are not that worked up because you figure you'll be long gone by the time things really go sideways. But what about the young people who have to find a way to live on this planet for a long, long time? Well, some of them from right here in Oregon are trying to do something about that. They filed suit in a case called Juliana et al. versus United States et al., Which alleges the federal government has failed to protect them from the impact of climate change, and it's actually making its way through the courts. Here to talk about it are two of the students named in the suit. Please welcome Miko and Isaac Vergun to (laughs) Livewire. Hi there, Miko and Isaac.
2: Hi. Hi.
3: Uh, let's start with how old are you, Isaac? How old are you?
2: I'm 13, 14 tomorrow.
3: Oh, happy birthday! Um, Miko, how old are you?
6: Um, I'm 14. So
3: let's talk about this about this case a little bit. What does the the lawsuit that you guys are in, involved in? What does it actually say? Like, w- what is the case that's being presented basically?
6: Basically. Um, we're suing the government for violating our rights to life, liberty, and property for, um, basically, the promoting, allowing the use and extraction, et cetera, et cetera, of fossil fuels. And the government has known for a long time that fossil fuels have um, been contributing to climate change, yet they're not doing anything about it. So we, we as the next generation, are filed the suit um, not only for our future, but for future generations, because future generations deserve to have a stable and healthy climate.
0: That's a good answer, Miko.
3: Okay, so uh, did, did like your parents or somebody say you should do this, or did you guys, Isaac, did you just decide this was a thing you thought was a good idea?
2: I, I decided I wanted to do yeah. this. It was a great idea. Um, and they had a previous lawsuit up in um, the state of Washington uh, against the Washington's Department of Ecology. Okay. Well, it's our Children's Trust, and I wanted to be part of that, but I found about it too late. And when I found out that it would be here, uh, I, I. So you had
3: lawsuit FOMO, basically, <laughs> off of the first one, but then the next one came around, and you were like, yes. Yeah. It's Isaac time.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: Uh, for people like me who are in the middle of their life, this seems like it's not going to happen on our watch. But what does it feel like to be like a kid on this planet who doesn't know if the planet's going to be livable during their lifetime.
6: Um, Well, okay, not trying to make anyone feel bad, but (laughs) once you all die, um, we have to... I have to be honest
3: with you. (laughs) If you don't want to make us feel bad, that is a terrible way to start that answer. (laughs)
6: Um... Well, once um you guys are all gone, we yes. have to <laughs> we have to take care of what's left. And um as the next generation we're going to be leading the world and so we have to take the initiative to make a difference, not only for ourselves but like our children and our children's children.
3: Let me ask this, Isaac, like are you on some level like actually scared? Like if you think about the earth as a place where stuff can't grow or where there's less water because of drought, like can you see a world for yourself where the earth is, is kind of a like, sort of scary place to live?
2: Yes, I can. Um, and it, it it goes through my mind every day, when especially when I'm like on the bus and I see a lot of people driving and I don't feel like a lot of people are ac- acknowledging that it's there, that climate change is out there, and that I feel like no one, if they do acknowledge, they might not feel like the, um, there's anything we can do about it, but there's a lot that we can do about it, and um, I want to open up their eyes to see that thing.
3: I mean, you guys right now are the people that are going to be on the planet later. The decisions are being made mostly by adults, um, Do you have a message for them? Is there anything you want to say to the people who are actually in charge of things right now, since you're going to be the ones around dealing with it?
6: Don't only listen to us, but look at the research and take action because we're going to have to live with what you decide. And um, it's not going to be pretty if our um, planet is, like, all smoky and (laughs) gross. Yes.
3: (laughs) Keep the planet from becoming smoky and gross. I think... That's a good message for all of us. Miko and Isaac Vergun, right here on Livewire. Thanks, you guys. All right, our musical guests this hour met at an impromptu busking session and immediately realized their harmonious voices were meant to be together. That was eight years ago. Since then, they've gone from playing on the streets to festivals like Bonnaroo and Telluride Bluegrass. Their latest record is Labor of Love. Please welcome Portland's own Fruition to Livewire.
4: Maybe she knows how it feels To rise up singing and go down slow Try not to think of all that's left to go I'm out here working day in, day out Got nothing fancy but not doing without you got a job and a dog And a big empty bed And I'm waiting for the day that I can rest my head Beside you Beside you Find peace when the day is done Beside you to be beside
3: On Livewire, go to fruitionband.com to find out when they're going to be at a
0: town near you.
3: Hey, if you like Livewire radio, you are going to love the Livewire podcast. Each week, we feature special bonus material we couldn't fit into the radio broadcast, including, this week, an extra song by Fruition. Go to LiveWireRadio.org or iTunes or Stitcher or any of those places you get podcasts to find out more. All right, it's our Earth Day show, so let's talk about some of the fascinating animals that we happen to share this planet with. Garrett Vinn is a photographer who spent thousands of hours not just taking pictures of birds, but also recording their unique calls His work can be seen in this amazing new book, The Living Bird 100 Years of Listening to Nature. Please welcome Garrett Vinn to (laughs) Livewire. Welcome to the show, Garrett.
7: Welcome. To yourself.
3: Thank you. It's a I wonderful feel, place. I've never felt more welcomed on this stage. The guests never say that. It's like I'm welcoming them and they're just assuming I'm fine. This book is really incredible, by the way. Thank you. Congratulations. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's beautiful. It is informative. Uh, there's a lot going on. Yes. What is the key to, to taking good photographs of wildlife, in particular birds, is it just like getting up crazy early or is it patience? What are you doing that's, that's making these pictures yeah. turn out so great?
7: I think I mean, part of it's just wanting to be out there, spending a lot of time, a lot of patience, a lot of waiting for light in the right moments. And then you know, I think the people that do the best photography are people that really love their, their subjects and know a lot about their subjects. So um, I think just having that kind of intimate knowledge of the lives of birds and other animals um, uh, Can come through in people's photography.
3: Do you have a favorite picture of all time that you've taken?
7: There's a a shot I took a long time ago that's in the book of a great gray owl with the snow falling. Uh, I took it up in Ontario years ago, and I loved that. I mean, and partly loved it for the moment of of finding these giant northern owls in a in a spruce bog in Ontario
3: in the winter. It's beautiful. How did you How did you get that shot? Like, how long were you out that day? What was What was the the lead up to it?
7: Uh, I think. at that time, I was uh, I was kind of roaming around southern Ontario in the winter, camped out in the back of my truck. Didn't have any money, just had my nice camera gear, you know, um, and had snowshoes. And it was one of these invasion years. So some of these some years, some birds, especially some northern owls, move much farther south, either due to prey scarcity in the north, or uh, weather conditions, or even because they've had a tremendous breeding season. And this was one of those years for this one bird, the Great Grey Owl, which is this incredible, large, beautiful owl. But So there were many of them. I probably saw 50 of them in a day. Um, but just snow is through these bogs and seeing them, and they're very confiding, they're not afraid of people. So you can be very close to
3: them, and it's pretty neat. Yeah, some of the pictures, the birds seem really close to you. Maybe that's a telephoto lens effect, but I mean, let's not forget, they're dinosaurs, right? They like, are. Are, they you af- are you afraid ever?
7: uh in a seabird colony sometimes you should be afraid because you will get poo on you you know <laughs> bird
3: droppings
7: uh, whatnot so
3: we're talking to garrett vin he is a uh wildlife photographer uh he's got a new book out the living bird 100 years of listening to nature is there like a moby dick for you like a white whale a bird that you would just love to get a, a picture of that you haven't yet um,
7: there's a, there's lots of them. Um, most of the a lot of the work I'm doing now is is working on like extremely rare, critically endangered birds around the world. So uh, one of them I kind of accomplished, which was a, the spoon billed sandpiper, which is this was kind of this mythical bird, only 200 pairs of them left in the world now, had never really been filmed, and I spent uh, two and a half months in Chukotka in the Russian Far East, um, tracking this bird down and filming it and filming it on its nest and the chicks coming out of the nest. So that was a um, kind of revealed that bird to a lot of people for the first time and it's one of these birds that for for bird watchers and people that are really into birds all over the world if you ask 10 bird watchers what's the bird you'd most like to see and it's the spoon sandpiper so really yeah that was pretty awesome
3: so are you a pretty big deal in the birder community now
7: <laughs> yeah yeah like king of the nerds you know
3: <laughs> all right garrett along with photographing birds you've also spent countless hours recording the audio of various bird calls so Along with being king of the nerds, you're something of an expert on bird calls and we wanted to test that knowledge by seeing if you can identify a series of birds just from hearing their calls. Do you think you can do that? We'll see. And by just from hearing their calls, we mean just from hearing our announcer Jason Rouse doing his oh impression of their calls. <laughs> yep. Would you like to give it a try? I would. I would. Jason, how long yep. have you been working on these bird
0: call impressions? Um, for absolutely for days. Okay. And uh, I. Uh, are you I, feeling
3: I've... confident? Like, do you feel like you kind of got it dialed in?
0: Yeah, I feel like I understand the language. There's some uh, intricacies in there. All right. So, announcer Jason okay. Rouse, let us hear your first bird call. We will see if
3: Garrett can identify this. <laughs> I would like to also mention these are real birds and real bird calls as best as Jason can make them happen. Red jungle fowl? No, I'm sorry. That is a barred owl.
0: Really close.
3: What do you think, Garrett? I don't don't think so. Can we hear that again, Jason?
0: (laughs) Of course.
4: (laughs) <laughs>
0: that is, that's right, yeah. Is that, I do know where that is. He, is that getting Garrett closer? just asked me a question in Bard Owl. And I understood.
3: Let's yeah. hear, let's hear an actual this is an actual Bard Owl in the Wild recording, which I will activate right now. Take a listen to this.
4: Yeah. I can't tell if that's
0: me or the, the owl. Like, that sounds like you just. I'm just hearing myself in that. Do you
7: know anything about barred owls, Garrett? I did, I recorded those barred owls in the middle of a swamp in Arkansas uh,
3: several yeah. years ago. What's what's something unique or, or interesting about the barred owl?
7: Well, something that's not that great about the barred owl is they've, they've expanded westward. They're very hard to impersonate? They are, actually they're, <laughs> that's probably the only bird call I sort of can impersonate. Um, but they're displacing uh, spotted owls now. Um, so they've become the, one of the major threats to spotted owls in the Pacific Northwest because they actually will, will displace them from their territories. They're more aggressive. They're larger. Huh. Um, and historically, they didn't occur in the Pacific Northwest. So.
3: so they're sort of an invasive species?
7: Yes, naturally invasive, yeah.
3: All right. Uh, Jason? Yeah? Do you have another bird call you're going to lay on us? Yeah, I got, I got a couple. Okay. Here you go. Really close your eyes, Garrett. Really concentrate, okay? Really try to get this. It's a red knot. That is absolutely a red knot.
7: Very nice.
3: Thanks, man. Would you, we'll, we'll play a little bit of an actual red knot recorded in the wild. Take a listen. Congratulations to both Jason and Garrett. That yeah, was impressive. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, what, Uh, What is a red knot, and what should we know about red knots?
7: Uh, Red knot is a shorebird, so it's like a sandpiper. It's kind of like the birds you see running around, being chased by waves on the beach, but it's a a different species. They breed in the high Arctic, one of the longest migratory shorebirds. They'll go all the way to Tierra del Fuego, southern tip of Africa, New Zealand, from Arctic breeding grounds in the Canadian Arctic and Arctic Russia. Jason, uh,
3: please uh, lay your next... Uh, bird call impression uh, interpretation on us.
7: And then that's an angry duck. <laughs> a long tailed duck.
3: That is, in fact, a long tailed
4: duck.
7: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nicely done.
0: I just go somewhere else. I just go so- when I'm doing my animals, my ducks, my birds. I'm just, you know if, what I mean? If only
3: there were like a reality show like The Voice, but just about bird calls. You would, yeah. you would win it, Jason. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's hear what a, a long-tailed duck in the wild sounds like. We'll compare I mean, it. to We just Jason. heard
0: what it sounds like, but <laughs> indistinguishable. But what yeah. I was doing. All right.
3: I feel like we should quit there. We're on a hot streak, but let's do one more. Jason, please, give us uh, another, another bird call.
0: All right.
3: And right. Garrett Vinn, wildlife photographer and bird expert, will try to identify this.
0: This one's tough.
7: I heard my neighbors making that sound once, but
0: yeah. I have no idea what that yeah. is. There's some Dave in there. There's some Dave and Sheila in there.
3: Can I just... Can I... <laughs> Can I ask a practical question, Jason? Yeah. What do you have written down on your notes to make that
0: sound? Like, how is that represented as a word? Uh, shaky neck, golden girl's weird face. Oh, it's a
3: shaky neck, golden girl's weird face. Sure, of course. Garrett, do you have any guesses on what that might be?
7: I really don't. Oh. I have no idea.
3: Does it sound like... Just do it one more time, Jason. Oh. Sure. I, I feel like Garrett can get this. <laughs> this may be my favorite bit we've ever done on the show. <laughs> Mine, too.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Did that shake anything loose, Garrett? Could it, could it be a loon? It is. It it's, is a yellow yeah. billed loon! Yes.
0: <laughs> I feel like I shook something loose on that last one.
4: <laughs>
0: Let me play the yellow
3: billed loon so we can hear uh, just how close Jason was. <laughs> that was incredible. Congratulations, Jason, on your prowess. Thank you, Lou. And Garrett Finn, Thank thanks, thanks for helping us out, man. Thank you. That was Garrett Vinn. The new book is The Living Bird, 100 Years of Listening to Nature. Jason, we've got another sponsorship message. We do. Uh, Don't do this one in bird call, tempting as that might be. That's
0: that's a good note. (laughs) Minneapolis, St. Paul are known as the Twin Cities. Now Alaska Airlines is offering twice daily flights to and from Seattle. Coincidence? You decide. Alaska is also offering a daily flight to and from Portland. Learn more at alaskaair.com.
3: You are listening to LiveWire. We will be right back. Hello there, podcast listeners. It's Luke, once again, bringing you back to the LiveWire podcast version of the radio show. You know, if I think about this too hard, I worry that the universe may fold in on itself, so I guess I'll just keep talking. See, it's a radio show. We record the show every week in Portland. We have a live crowd. We have guests. We have a guest wrangler, Elia Unverzat. Her job is to, like, hang out in the green room with a radio transmitter in her ear and as soon as it's getting close to the guests coming on stage she grabs them interrupts their conversation or whatever and then nicely escorts them uh, around to the back of the stage so they're ready to come on stage we have a house band there's so much that goes into this show happening Uh, that's the radio version and then when it's all said and done we send it out to a bunch of public radio stations all over the country they play it and then i sit here at my house in bellingham where i live with the dog behind me. And then I record this part of the show. So it is a podcast that's kind of about a radio show, but also includes the radio show in question. Um, uh, we want to uh, tell you also uh, real quick how you can help. <laughs> I don't know if that was the world's best setup, by the way, the world's greatest sales pitch for what I'm about to say, but uh, we would uh, love it if you would maybe take a moment to help us keep making this radio show and podcast. And uh, and the way you could do that is by going to LiveWireRadio.org. LiveWireRadio.org is where you can join our League of Extraordinary Listeners. Uh, these are people who are saying, hey, you know what, I like this show. Like, I think this show is making my week a little better. We're bringing you, you know, writers and comedians and musicians and thinkers and people that you might not otherwise hear from. And we're we're putting it all together in a in a beautiful little one-hour package for you, and then and then sending it out, and then you get to just have that, right? And maybe that's something that you think is worth five bucks a month, or ten bucks a month, or some number of dollars per month. If you go to livewireradio.org, you join our League of Extraordinary Listeners, that is exactly what will start happening. You'll be donating a little bit of money every month to help keep this thing going, which would mean the world to us, and would also, no joke, help us keep doing it. Uh, we changed our production model. They're probably not going to like that. I'm going to just like just pull the curtain back like this. But we changed our production model. We used to do the show in a big, huge theater with like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people coming. And that was really fun. And uh, that was really successful for us. I'm going to be honest with you. That was was all working. But we wanted to make the show as intimate as possible. And we wanted to make more of the shows. And we wanted to make the show every single week instead of the the way we've been doing it before, which was a couple of times a month. And so in all of that, we, we just like, we just like, let me think of an analogy here. It's like we, we had made something that was working just great, but we wanted it to be even better. And so we decided to kind of take the whole thing down to the studs and, and in a certain way, start over. And what we're really excited about is that it's made the show better as a radio show. It's making this podcast better. Uh, it's working. But it also means that we've got to find some 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 new creative ways to help keep the uh, keep the financial end of this show in order. And uh, and so I don't say this with any I mean I say this with, with completely genuine <laughs> uh, feelings and the real actual pressure of us figuring out how to try to uh, keep this radio show going. When I tell you, it would mean a lot if you join the league of extraordinary listeners. And uh, by the way, if if you're cool with donating uh, like ten bucks a month, um we'll send you all kinds of amazing thank you gifts. We got t-shirts, we got totes bags. Uh, we've got uh, coffee. We've got a bunch of stuff and uh, we would love to uh, lay it on you as a thank you for helping support Livewire radio. And let's thank some of the people who are currently doing that. These are people who are already donating to Livewire, And this is why you're able to hear this, uh, this little podcast and that little radio show that also airs on a hundred plus stations. Now, Uh, Those folks are Melissa Langager, Brady Al-Arid, and Kate and Craig Redmond. Melissa, Brady, and Kate and Craig. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it. If you want to uh, be cool, like Melissa, Brady, and Kate and Craig, and maybe have your name read on this very podcast, uh, go ahead and and take a moment. Go to livewireradio.org. All right. We're going to go back to the radio show. We have a performance uh, reading uh, from Anis Mojgani coming up as the LiveWire podcast rolls on. Welcome back to LiveWire Radio from PRI, Public Radio International. All right, this is our Earth Day show, and we've been talking about planet Earth this whole hour. What about all the people who live on it, though? People with emotions and hopes and fears and occasionally pocket knives. This is where Anis Mojgani comes in. His poetry manages to capture that almost indescribable feeling of being an alive person on this planet. His new book is The Pocket Knife Bible. Please welcome LiveWire favorite Anis Mojgani to LiveWire.
5: Magnolias cover the ground. The sidewalk in front of the Ferret Mansion is made of bricks and the bricks are all out of order and covered in moss. The mansion is the biggest house in New Orleans. It's spooky. Its yard is like a jungle and there are so many magnolia trees on its sidewalk that even in the daytime it is dark. We hold our breath when we walk past in case there are any ghosts around, but it's hard because the magnolia smell so sweet and the whole block smells like them and it's my favorite smell. Their petals are soft and white like butter left out. They feel like my baby brother's cheeks. In winter the porch freezes. Me and Shoke use our shoes to skate across the ice before school. On cold mornings, Mom makes oatmeal. On cold, cold mornings, she lays my pants over the heater while I stay under the covers. I can see my breath move out of my mouth. It's like having a superpower. I feel like the north wind. I breathe on the window and turn it a different color. I move my finger across the glass and draw a giraffe. You can only see it when there's something dark on the other side. This is also like a superpower. Me and Mom and Shoke, we plant a tree in front of our house. We have a new brother. His name is Nason. He's like a sailboat, a chubby sailboat. His name means spring rain cloud. Shokafe means blossom. I don't know what Parvisa means, he's just pop. I don't know what Terry means, she's just mom or Carolyn if she's talking to Aunt Diane or Aunt Lynette. I don't like my name. It's only four letters but still sounds all corners and clumsy in my mouth like trying to chew the pieces of a plate and no one ever says it right. It means companion. I wish my name was Mike. It is only four letters and sounds like a knife. Me and Sam, we pull Japanese plums off the neighbor's tree. They're the size of a fat walnut with a seed the size of a fat acorn. We lick our palms and dress our fingers in their orange skins. Every house has a neighbor with a tree, and every tree reaches over the walls. We stain our shirts with their juice. We eat until our bellies hurt. Me and Sam, we're the same color as each other. Both of us have a black mom and a Persian dad. Both of us are small and skinny and brown, but when we sit in the branches, it is like we are gods of something. Somebody pulls up the tree we planted for my brother. We plant another and mom goes next door. The old white lady who lives there always looks sharp at us. Mom is angrier than I ever seen her, orange eyes, flames. I watch from our curtains and hear Ma say through the screen door, I planted another tree and nothing better happened to this one. And I hear the old lady say like a witch, What you want to plant a tree for anyway? And Ma says, it doesn't matter why. It was my tree. And you best not touch this one. And starts walking back to the house. And just like the birds that breathe in the fire of my mother's breast, I scatter from the window before she walks through the door. My mother is a pistol. That's Anis Moshkani.
0: Thank you.
3: Hey man. Hey. This book is great. By oh, thank the way. you. You did the you you obviously wrote the poetry and you also did the the illustrations and Correct. the art in it.
5: Yep, yep. Where did you grow up? I grew up in New Orleans. The um the the, the book is largely um autobiographical, um, told from the viewpoint of of me during childhood and just growing up in New Orleans basically.
3: Well, I mean, it sounds like uh, there was a certain amount of uh, skepticism from some of the neighbors at times as evidenced in that, <laughs> the, in that piece you read. But definitely the how, uh, how was it growing up in New Orleans well, overall?
5: New Orleans is 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 amazing. It's it's my favorite place. It's just a, a really magical city. There's something um really powerful and musical about it. Um and I I think it's history and culture of of music you know, seeps into all aspects of it. And, and so just like the way that it moves, you know, like I heard somebody say recently that they felt, they'd never been to New Orleans, but that they felt like whenever they go to New York, because of its relationship with movies, they feel as if they're inside of a film. And they wondered if going to New Orleans was like being inside of a song. And I thought that that was a pretty apt comparison for for what the city is like.
3: How do you remember a lot of this stuff? Like this, this new book of yours, The Pocket Knife Bible, uh, it has a lot of scenes, very vividly described scenes from your childhood. Uh, how do you remember that stuff?
5: Um, some, some of the stuff is stuff that I've, I've carried around for a long time and have, have already explored in writing. And it, it definitely was a bit of a challenge to try to figure out how do I – how do I, you know, I don't know how to do that. You know, it's like, that's not something that's sort of like taught, like how do you pull out of you memories of what has already transpired? And and so I, I didn't really know how to go about doing that other than just sort of already writing about the things that I could already remember. And just by spending more and more time with stuff that I was already exploring memory-wise, it sort of allowed me to kind of go further into those individual memories um, and the thing that, that that always fascinates me about me- memory, and um, i had been wanting to explore what it meant to sort of how we create our own personal mythology. You know, like there's the, there's the story of our lives that is that is actual, and there's a story of our lives that, that's remembered, and there's a story of our lives that's told to us by others. And, you know, so that, that mythology gets birthed out of those three things and where they intersect. And, you know, so that was um, both a challenge but also a lot of the fun of finding where it was that I was able to kind of like – poeticize you know reality um, but that reality being being my reality
3: my wife does not appreciate how much I poeticize reality <laughs> she calls it lying but I'm glad She's you're right. making a career right. out of it uh, I understand you have another poem that you're gonna I do form all right lay it on us
5: we'll do sometimes I would lay in the garden and pretend I was a carrot sometimes I would lay under the big leaves and I was a head of lettuce. Sometimes I would curl my paws into the soft earth, and I was a rabbit. Sometimes in the garden, I was a rock, was sometimes wishing I were two rocks, becoming three rocks, was sometimes warmed by the sun or held cool and smooth in a palm. Sometimes in the garden as a rock, I waited hundreds of years, and it was only the wind that touched me. Sometimes I waited hundreds, no thousands of years and not even the wind could move me. Sometimes the night would arrive with an enormous moon glowing like the orange skin of an orange skinned woman and the night would use that enormous moon to say to me, look, you are like how I am and see how bright my body sometimes becomes. Sometimes I waited for spring. Always I waited for spring. And once my love arrived like it, out of the cold and with flowers on her fingertips. Thank you. That's Anise Mojgani.
3: The new book is The Pocket Knife Bible. Thanks, man. All right, here we are. Nearly at the end of the show, part where I come into the actual audience here at Mississippi Studios and find out if we've learned anything in the last hour, who's feeling brave. Ma'am, what's your name? Maya. Maya, where are you from?
2: Reno, Nevada.
3: Beautiful Reno, Nevada. What did you learn this hour?
2: I learned, I didn't know you could sue people before you were 18.
3: (laughs) Is that something you would have availed yourself of when you were under 18, had you known it?
6: It's very possible.
3: Ma'am, what is your name? Jane. Jane,
2: where are you from?
6: I am,
3: I'm from Madison, Wisconsin. What did you
2: learn in the last hour? Oh, something so special. I learned that Jason is a bird-calling god. Yeah.
3: It's true. I have, to, I, I have to ask announcer Jason Rouse, um, uh, do you, are you going to be back next week for the show, or are you going to go full-time with the bird-calling?
0: I, so many things are up in the air right now. Yeah. I mean, I've just been thinking about it. I may be, I may be shooting my own kind of version of Alone just with me and some birds. Yeah. I'm going walkabout like Grizzly Adams, you know? I'm yeah. just out there. I guess
3: that's what we learned. Let's tell you who helped make this show happen. Of course, our guests, Garrett Vin, Anis Moshgani, Dr. Nicole Appellian, and Miko and Isaac Vergun. Also, the gang from Fruition... That was incredible stuff. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors: New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Alaska Airlines. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Provenance Hotels. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of LiveWire. Laura Haddon is our producer and editor. Our announcer and our writer, and bird Caller now is Jason Rouse. Our house band is Jonathan Newsom and A Walker Spring. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Elia Unverzat is our backstage coordinator. House sound by Neil Blake, on-air mixed by Jason Powers. Thanks to Revival Drum Shop. Our development director is Kim Bergstrom. Our operations manager is Lauren Masterson. Welcome back. Additional funding provided by the Meyer Memorial Trust and the Regional Arts and Culture Council. For more information about our show, head over to LivewireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.
0: Public Radio International.
3: Hey there, podcast listeners. It's Luke again. Um, we're going to read some of your emails. And if you would like to um, email me, please do so by using the email address, heyluke at livewireradio.org. That's heyluke at livewireradio.org. Or you can call us and leave a voicemail. Our phone number is 803-597-2346. That's 803-LW-RADIO. Uh, we had an email last week from somebody named Japheth. and um I just, as I was reading it, i I took a moment to reflect on uh, on or at least point out that I thought I remembered that name being one of Noah's from the Bible, Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and uh, Japheth, I think. Japheth wrote back in and said, yes, Japheth is one of Noah's three sons. And I was blown away by your incredible ability to pronounce my name. Thank you. Do we still have the stadium applause? Let me just give myself a little a little good job on that one. A boy. It's weird, the stuff that your brain remembers, right? Like, why do I remember the names of Noah's sons from the Bible, but I do not remember my exact wedding anniversary date? That's not a joke. I'm whispering because I'm recording this at my house and my wife could be down the hall. Um, and she said to me the other day, she goes, I was talking about something to her and I said, do you, um, I go, oh, I talked about that on the show. I was mentioning a topic that I had discussed on the other podcast I do. And I said, oh yeah, I talked about it on the show. She goes, yeah, I know. And I go, well, how did you know? Did you listen? And she said, no, because everything you say in your little studio down the hall is audible throughout the entire house. So trying to be kind of low key about that. The point is, it's weird to me that I remember that thing from, uh, from uh, the Bible. And then there were so many modern, modern things that I, you know, modern parts of my life that I can't remember um, for anything. Uh, Japheth continues My mom explained my name to everyone that it's pronounced like a fifth of whiskey, which I can't help notice. She was correcting people's pronunciation with a distinct lack of enunciation. She would say fifth instead of fifth, dropping the very sound she was trying to reinforce. Oh and then JFeth has some ideas for how we can end this podcast. I've asked for this and this is something I would like very much if you uh, out there in Livewire Listenerland could come up with some ideas. Again, hey Luke at livewireradio.org. Um I don't know how to end the podcast each week. On the other show I do, we have a little we say no mountain too tall and good luck to all, which has a long involved backstory which I don't need to get into here. Um but uh but I'm I'm, I'm trying to figure out I would like a a catchy pithy little line at the end of the show. And Japheth says, um, here's how you should end the show. Say, if life isn't interesting, change your life or change your interests. Yes, that is my own. It's something I said to my aunt when I was seven. <laughs> I don't really know if that applies to this show, but I, and I'm, I'm proud of you, Japheth, that you said that when you were seven. Hold on. Let me get this. Um, this applause has really come in handy during this episode of the program. Really proud of you, Jfeth, for, um for such profundity at the age of uh, seven. Uh, listener Karen says, Hey Luke, I love the new podcast format. I discovered the Livewire podcast about a year ago, and I've had a lot of fun going back to listen to old episodes, to listen to how the show has evolved, changed, and continued uh, to get better and better over the years. The new podcast just makes it one more step forward in the better and better road. Um, why are you living in Bellingham now? After making such a big deal for so many episodes about how cool you were to be a resident of the wonderful town of of Port Townsend It's a really good question From this listener Um, Yeah my wife and I Moved to a little town On the Olympic Peninsula In Washington State Called Port Townsend uh, It's where we got married And after we got married there We would visit a lot on weekends Because it's, it's just This little kind of um, town you know, Right on the I guess it's technically It's the Strait of Juan de Fuca it does connect to the ocean, but if I said it's on the ocean, that, I think that would give you the wrong impression of what's going on there. Anyway, it's right on the water. It's got lots of old Victorian houses, lots of artsy people. It's a cool place. It's the kind of place that sometimes when you have a stressful life, um, like I did and like my wife did, you go visit a place for the weekend and you just think, what if this was our life? God, wouldn't it be great to live here? And that was kind of the thought we had. And so we did. We up and moved from the hustle and bustle of Seattle to... Um, to the small maritime village of Port Townsend, Washington, and it was um, it was really fun, and it was in certain ways really relaxing. But what I what I think we both figured out after um, a certain amount of time was that it was it was maybe just a little bit more relaxing than we needed at this point in our life. Like maybe if we were retired, uh, there's a lot of people who are retired who live there. Um, maybe if we like for me, if I didn't have to work, uh, and 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 actually get to like the airport in Seattle a lot for work, which was a bit of a hike, um, then uh, maybe it would have been a better time for that. My wife was working in Seattle on various projects, and the it, it's a let me put it this way, it was a pretty remote place, a really fun but remote place, and so we ended up over here in Bellingham, uh, which is still kind of out of the loop a little bit. I mean. It's not nearly as, as, as hectic or trafficy as other major cities, really even as Portland is. I spent like an hour and a half the other day trying to get from the hotel where I stay in Portland to the show to do live wire. And that's like 2.9 miles or something. So yeah, Portland's got its share of uh, stuff going on now. Um, but but we, we checked out Bellingham, and it turned out to be, I think, exactly the right amount of hustle and bustle. Um, so, that's, I don't know if that's a very interesting answer, Karen, to your question. It's probably not, but it is the real answer to why we're over here. Um, let's play a voicemail um, from, uh, oh, I think this is actually from one of the volunteers on LiveWire.
4: Uh, hey, it's uh, Volunteer Joseph,
7: and I was just calling to apologize for making loud noises during the run-through during last week's show. I should let you know that if the show felt a little off to you, it was probably my fault. Hey guys,
3: fine. That's one of our actual volunteers, one of the people that actually helps out with the show. And uh, yeah, Joe, that was super distracting during our. We do a little. We call it a speed through. Before uh, anyone gets to the theater there at Mississippi Studios, uh, we all kind of get together and we make the plan for the show. Like we make sure that the. Uh, we know who's going to get a music bump when they walk on the stage and what microphone different guests are going to use. And it's uh, there's a, a lot of choreography to putting one of these shows together, believe it or not. And we're in the middle of the speed through, and I heard a tremendous clang from the back of the room, and it was listener Joe, who I still don't know what happened. I got the sense he hit his tooth on a bottle. Is that possible? I, It sounded dangerous, and, and uh, it, you know, it was a huge distraction, and I'm, I'll be honest with you. I think it did throw the whole show off. So if there's anything about this week's episode of the radio show that you think could have been better, I lay it squarely at the feet of volunteer Joe, who's going to have to turn in his key card. We don't have key cards? All right, I guess we don't have key cards at the station or at the uh, the venue where we record the show. So um, since we don't have anything for you to turn in, I guess you can continue continue volunteering on the show. Uh, giving up your valuable time, Joseph, uh, for no pay uh, whatsoever, but just for the joy of being around the whole sort of live wire experience, which is a really fun thing. Hey, that's a great way for me to uh, wrap things up here and tell you that uh, if you are going to be in the Portland area throughout the month of April and May, you may catch this before our April twenty seventh show, uh, which uh, is going to be a real a real blast at Mississippi Studios. If you are hearing this after April 27th, we've also got one coming up on May 11th, May 18th, May 25th, and then finally, our um, the end of our spring season of recording shows uh, will happen on June 1st. So uh, please come down to Mississippi Studios if you're going to be in the Portland area on a Wednesday night and hang out with us. It's really, really fun, as long as Volunteer Joseph doesn't screw it up for us again. All right, last thing you're going to hear on the LiveWire podcast, and that is... A second song from Fruition. This is one of the other things that's fun about uh, about doing the podcast version of the show the way we are now doing it, which is we can bring you extra stuff that couldn't fit on the radio show. So here it is. Another song from Fruition, and uh, and that will be the end of the podcast for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Again, please email me. hey Luke at LiveWireRadio.org. I'm getting lonely here in this little room with the dog and my Keurig. Keurigified coffee. Um, I would love to hear from you. Hey, Luke at LiveWireRadio.org or give us a call. That phone number is 803-LW-RADIO. 803-597-2346. All right, here's some bonus fruition for the podcast. Enjoy your week and... Let me find my catchy catchphrase I'm supposed to do. Enjoy your week and if life isn't interesting, (laughs) change your life or change your interests. Thank mm-hmm.
8: Come on, i at your door.